What if I were to tell you that the person who you've been trying to reach for Christ for years or even decades would never accept Christ? Would you still share your faith with them and show them the love of Christ? What if I were to tell you that the marriage that you're investing in and trying to grow and heal, that no matter what you did, it wasn't going to get healthier? Would you still give it all you've got? What if I were to tell you that our culture is too far gone to save? Should we just curl up on the couch with some popcorn and watch it go? Or should we still do our best to, give, to bring restoration and healing? Today we take a look at a king who was faced with the task of doing the impossible. He had heard from God that things were too far gone to save. And he had to make the decision whether or not he would continue to be faithful. His name is Josiah. Maybe you've never heard of him. He ruled from 640 to 609 B.C., if you're a numbers guy. And in during that time, the nation of Judah was failing quickly. His grandfather, Manasseh, ruled for 55 years and led the country in a very dark direction. And his father, Ammon, only made it two years during that time, the country turned to idolatry, turned to worshiping other gods. They failed to take care of their own people as we see through the prophets of that day. And here was Josiah as a young man who had become king. And here's what it says about him in 2 Kings chapter 23. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart and with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. That's a high compliment, isn't it? Neither before nor after was there a king like him who feared the Lord, who turned to the Lord the way that he did. But listen to what it says in the very next verse. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said, my name shall be there. If there is one thing that we need to learn from the story of Josiah, it is this. He was willing to be faithful in spite of the outcome. Even though the outcome was not one that was looking good for him, even though it would have been easy for him to have cashed it in and said, well, if that's the future, I'm out. I'm just going to relax in peace. There's no sense even fighting against it. But instead, Josiah chose to be faithful in spite of the outcome. Be faithful in spite of the outcome. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. Love even when you get no love in return. We are living in a day when our culture is not just sliding away from Christianity. It is walking off of the proverbial cliff. 
The numbers of self-identifying Christians in America just 10 years ago was 75%. Today it is 63%. In Protestant circles, the number has been even more alarming. They have fallen from 50% to 40% of people identifying as those types of Christians. Among those who are considered nuns, 29% of American adults are now considered nuns. I'm not talking about the Catholic nuns, the N-U-N-S. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S. That's people who identify with no religion whatsoever. That's up from 17% in 2009. And this number continues to get, uh, get worse as, we get, as, uh, as the country gets younger uh, to the fact where 4 in 10 of those who are millennials describe themselves as nuns and 1 in 10 of millennials identify with other non-Christian faiths. And I want to be clear here, it's easy for us to often get in the, the thing of blaming the younger generations. The younger generations are where they're at because of where the older generations have led them. That's what we have to accept and realize. I'm 43 years old now, so I'm starting to be in that older generation. I don't know, I'm kind of in between. I can blame both people if I want to, I guess, if you're in the middle, right? But the reality, it doesn't do any good to blame the younger generation. We're here because of where we've been going for generations. We have to accept that instead of blaming people. So how is it that we choose to be faithful in spite of the outcome? How is it that we choose to stay the course even if it seems like we might not see the reward that we would like to see? What is it that made Josiah the king that he was? The man who feared God with all of his heart that neither before nor after him was there a king like him. Well, let's take a look at Josiah's life a little more in depth. We'll be in 2 Chronicles, the 34th chapter. And by the way, if you're a guest with us, we've been going through the Bible this year in something called the story. We're about halfway through it, uh, and we're going to continue on through this through May. And so we invite you to come with us on this journey as we look at the scriptures, the high and the low points. And today is seemingly a low point in Scripture. 2 Chronicles 34 says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine that? Becoming king when you're eight years old? Talk about pressure. Now, he had some people who helped him out as king. He wasn't making decisions as an eight-year-old. I don't know if you can imagine putting an eight-year-old in charge of a whole country. Sometimes, uh, sometimes when we had an eight-year-old, they were in charge of the whole house, that's for sure. But uh, here it is, eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And that didn't make it to 40. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he had just gotten his donkey's driver's license here at 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father David. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under, the direction, under his direction, the altars of Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense and altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. Okay, there's a lot of words in there that you might not have caught and understand fully what they mean. I get that, okay? So let me just tell you what he was dealing with from this passage and from other passages about his life. First, Asherah poles. Asherah poles were literally large phallic symbols. 
There was actually one that was, that was put up in the temple, in the Jewish temple, where they would come and worship the god of Asherah. This was something that his grandfather Manasseh had done. This is a fertility god that they would worship. And not only in the temple where they had one that was 35 to 40 feet tall, but on hillsides and in different areas they would have these Asherah poles where people would go and worship the god of fertility. Uh, and this was something that obviously was, was despised in the Old Testament as well as the New if it still would have been around then. You might say, well, we don't do that today, but have we made sexuality something that we worship and bow to in our culture? And the answer is absolutely yes. We have made in our culture the sole identity of people, the most important factor of people's identity we have made into sexuality. We are teaching our kids at younger and younger ages to question their sexuality and to seek out different ways right when they're in the middle of puberty, right when they're the most vulnerable. This is nothing other than a modern form of the Asherah pole. We are dealing with the same thing sexually that Josiah did, just a different manifestation of it. Next we see that they were worshiping the sun, moon, and the stars. They were worshiping uh, basically what we'd see as kind of like astrology today, but in an extreme version of it. And this was done through these high places that were put up around the country. Rather than having the centralized temple worship where they had the truth of God that was there, that was supposed to be there, as we'll see later on, it was gone from there too. But they had all these different places where they could worship the way that they wanted to worship, worship the gods that they wanted to worship. We see the same thing happening in our culture today. We say bizarre things in our cultures. Well, well that's just your truth. It's not my truth. And the reality is, truth is truth. It doesn't matter if it's your truth or my truth. And we see that people will just say, well, I don't like, I don't like organized religion. Well, I don't necessarily love it all the time either. But the reason why we have organized religion is to keep us from going off the deep end. Because we need to have truth that is about us. We need to have truth that is passed down to us. We need to have truth that is connected to God, not just something that we come up with on our own. And so during this pandemic, we have seen an increase in this. But people will just say, well, I just want to choose to believe this instead of this. And one of the great things about Christianity is that the belief system really hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Well, sure, the application of it is modified from culture to culture, but the basic truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all those things remain the same, as do the same teachings about morality and how we are to live out that faith. And so when we start to personalize our worship in a way that makes it what we want to believe, we wind up creating God in our image. And I know when I look in the mirror, this image is not made to be a God. I know that I am created in the image of God and it needs to stay that way instead of trying to create God in our own image. The third thing that we see is that they were actually sacrificing children to the god of Molech. 
the god named Molech, the false god. We see in our culture today that we devalue children. We see children as a barrier to living out our lives as opposed to seeing children to being a blessing from the Lord. This is something that we should be cautious of and we should repent of. Tim Keller, the now retired pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, has been on the forefront of seeing the gospel spread in the middle of Manhattan, one of the toughest mission fields in the world. He's now in his early 70s and has stage 4 pancreatic cancer and knows that he only has so much longer with us. And I don't know about you, but I tend to listen to people who are dying because their perspective is not one where they're going to try to just please people with their words. But when he was asked about the greatest threat to Christianity in America, his initial response was to talk about the increasing secularization of all things in America that is there's a great threat to us, how a freedom of speech is withering away and how those threats are coming against Christians. However, he quickly notes that that is not the greatest threat to Christianity in America. Here's what he says. He says, however, the first and greatest threat is the failure of the American church itself. He then goes on how to describe how both liberal and conservative churches have failed in their mission. And if you know one thing about Tim Keller, he's a very balanced individual when it comes to Scripture. He's not extreme in one way or the other. He is someone that has very carefully uh, studied Scripture and stuck to it. And he, he lays out four different areas. He says one of the ways that we've done so is by becoming nothing more than political power blocks. It's just about getting our person in office as opposed to making disciples. He says the second thing is that the prominent moral failures of Christian leaders that have been in the spotlight has been another black eye for Christianity. The third thing is by refusing to acknowledge how the American church has previously been involved in the marginalization and exploitation of vulnerable populations. We refuse to listen and have just basically had a denunciatory attitude towards anything that doesn't match our politics. The fourth thing he said is that we have yet to discover a way to evangelize a post-Christian world. We see those failures as we look at Judah's failures. And church, let me be very clear. I'm not here to bash anybody except myself when it comes to our failures. But we must be serious if we are about the great mission of Jesus Christ, about the great commission to look very sternly in the mirror and to look very truthfully and honestly in the mirror and say, what can we do to change things for the better? What can we do to more faithfully follow Jesus Christ? How can we be Josiahs in our own time? And so for the rest of our time today, I just want to talk to you about how we can be Josiahs in our own time. We need to be Josiahs in our own time. How can we do so? In 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8, it continues on. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, he's in his mid-20s now, he began to purify the land of the temple. He sent Shapen and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah to repair the temple of the Lord his God. And while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had 
uh, been given through Moses. Can you imagine this? This is the people of the Word of God. These are people that are devoted to the Word of God, and yet here they are, they find the book of the law back in the back. It's like that Bible with the dust on it. They said, look what we found. We found this book that we're supposed to be about, and yet we haven't been doing anything with it at all. And so they took it, and they gave it to Shapin. Then Shapin, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shapin read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Now, tearing your robes isn't something that you do when you're angry in the Bible. It's something that you do when you're broken. It's something that you do as an act of repentance. It's an act of something that you do. It's something you do as an act of grieving how far you've fallen from the Lord. And so we see the first thing that we need to do if we need to be Josiah's in our time is we need to respond with brokenness before the Lord. Josiah responded with brokenness before the Lord and we need to do the same. One of the most patriotic things that we can do is cry out for our country in prayer. To cry out for our culture and to pray for God to do a movement here. The text continues. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 20. He, meaning Josiah, gave these orders. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And so they went and they found a prophetess. There's only four prophetess, meaning female prophets, in the entirety of the Old Testament. But here they found a very faithful woman by the name of Huldah. And Huldah spoke quite boldly to them. She says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that have been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out in this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and this people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this place and all those who live here. Did you catch that? Basically, this place is going to be destroyed. God's judgment is going to come against Judah here. But I'm going to let you die first before all that happens. Well, that's a nice encouraging word, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for letting me die before my eyes shall see thine wrath. So they took her answer back to the king, and the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and uh, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he said, I give up, it's hopeless. Right? No, not at all. What he did, he gathered them there. He read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant, the Bible, the book of the law that had been missing so long. 
which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and with all of his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. The second thing that we see Josiah doing is that he urgently sought to renew the people's walk with the Lord. There was a sense of urgency about this. He recognized this wasn't something that could wait, but that he needed to call the people together and to proclaim to them the words of the Lord. Now, should we gather everybody together in Washington and read the Bible for them? Would that be even possible to do? Well, we're not Judah. We're not Israel. But should we have great urgency with our relationships, with our family members, with our co-workers, with our neighbors? Should we have great urgency about the message of the Lord? Yes, absolutely, we should. We must have that urgency. Time is short. Whatever happens to our country, it is what it is. The reality is, is that we must be prepared and make sure people are prepared to meet the Lord. We must make sure that people are living out the life that they're capable of living through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. So Josiah sought urgently to renew the people's walk with the Lord. And so we must as well seek out urgently to renew the people who God has placed around us in their walk with the Lord. In verse 33, we see that Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all uh, the, who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Now we see here that Josiah did this through purging the place. Now I'm not suggesting to you that when you go through the Kroger or the Meyer and get up to the checkout aisle and you see all the smutty magazines that you should take them out and burn them in front of the store. That'll get you kicked out of the mire in a hurry, right? They'll put your face on the door and won't let you come back in if that's the case. But what we see here is that Josiah used his God-given influence for good. We must look to where we can be influential as well with our lives. How we can bring influence into other people's lives for good and invest in them. Let them know that they are loved by God. Let them know that there is a hope that comes in Jesus Christ. Let them know that there is a mission that is greater than what we are living for in this world on our own. And then in 2 Chronicles 35, verses 18 and 19, we see that Josiah also chose to have a very lavish ceremony like had never been done before since the time of Samuel. No king had ever done it before in such a manner where he celebrated the Passover. The Passover that celebrated, just as we celebrate communion every Sunday for our Passover, the cross, they were to celebrate the Passover where they celebrated the Jewish deliverance. How God had delivered them, the Israelites, from Egypt. And so as the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel, and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites, and all of Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. Here we see him gathering together. What does this mean? He called upon people to remember God's faithfulness. He looked back to how God had been faithful. Just as Kelly talked about in the communion meditation today, they looked back and they looked forward. They looked back and they looked forward. 
If we want to look forward, we always look back to God's faithfulness and know that God was faithful then and he'll be faithful today. No matter how bad things look or how bad things get, the reality is, is that God is still faithful to resurrect the dead. God is still faithful to save us from our sins. God will still be faithful to restore this world. So I started off this message with the idea that we need to be faithful in spite of the outcome. That no matter what the outcome may be for our culture, no matter what the outcome may be for our relationships, no matter what the outcome may be for our family, that we need to be faithful in spite of the outcome. But what I want to suggest to you in closing today is that the only way we can be faithful in spite of the earthly outcome is because we know the heavenly outcome. We know that Christ was victorious at the cross in spite of how it looked, in spite of how the earthly outcome looked, that three days later the heavenly outcome prevailed when he was resurrected from the dead. And we know that in spite of how the earthly outcome looks for us today, that God is faithful to resurrect the dead, that we will experience resurrection, we will experience the new heavens and the new earth together. Church, be faithful in spite of the outcome here in this world, because we know that the outcome has been declared in heaven, and we are victorious through Jesus Christ. Paul, in the end of 1 Corinthians verse chapter 15, let me read this for you in closing. He tells them this about this hope, and he says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, meaning die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for, the raise, for we will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For the incorruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And he goes on to say, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But he doesn't stop there. What he says next is equally as important. How he concludes this great passage is with this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor here is not in vain. Church, why can we stand fast whether it looks like we're winning or we're losing? It's because we have this hope that is greater than this world. We have this hope that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we have his example to follow, that even when the world is at its darkest moments, God can bring about his greatest victories. He was faithful to resurrect Jesus Christ, and he will be faithful to resurrect you. And therefore, you can stand firm. You can let nothing move you. You can always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because church, I promise you, your labor in the Lord is not 
in vain. Let's pray. Lord, it's not the most rosy passage in Scripture. It's not the one I probably like to talk about the most. But thank you for the story of Josiah. Thank you for how you empowered him to be a faithful king in spite of the culture around him. Lord, may we be Josiah's in our world today. May we be people who aren't as concerned with getting things done as much as we are being faithful. May we be a people who stay steadfast to the course, even when it looks like we're losing. May we be a people who, just like Jesus Christ, endure the crosses that we have before us in this world. Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you are faithful. And so we trust in you today. We pray that we will be faithful to the end. We pray that we will be faithful until we hear your voice cry out. Until we hear that trumpet sound. Knowing that our labor in you is not in vain. Thank you for Jesus and his example. Thank you for the church and its example through history. May we be steadfast now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we wrap up this service today, I want to let you know about a few things. First of all, if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for visiting with us. I would love to talk to you more to get to know you. Uh, you can meet me out in the lobby afterwards if you'd like to chat or to introduce yourselves. Or you can also go online to ecc.live, ecc.life. And you can just fill out a quick information card there, and we can contact you later on if you'd like us to. I do want to let you know about a few things that we have going on. This Friday evening out in our foyer, we have a family game night. And so we'd love for you to come, bring some snacks, bring some games if you'd like. There'll be plenty of games here to play. Just have a good time, get to know people around you, uh, and maybe even you'll walk away winner. You know, so that's good. So I know I'm going to win Ticket to Ride. So if any of you like Ticket to Ride, come to my table and we'll battle it out, all right? Uh, all right, so uh, then also this coming Sunday, we have uh, Dedication Sunday. If you have a little one who has not yet been dedicated and would like to have that uh, dedication performed, if you'd like to be a part of that, then uh, you can do that at either service. Uh, just reach out through our website. Or you can also talk to our children's minister, Melanie, and she'll be more than happy to get you connected with that. All right, uh, as we prepare to leave, a reminder, if you have an offering that you'd like to share today, uh, you can do so on your way out in the buckets, or you can give online as well. Let's go ahead and stand together as we celebrate, and let me bless you as we leave and go our ways. May the Lord bless you with a spirit similar to that of Josiah that empowers you to stand firm and to let nothing move you, and to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And may you always keep in mind that this victory has already been won by Jesus Christ our Lord. Go in peace.